Welcome to the Fundamental Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Paul Saladino. This podcast is the result of my relentless search to understand and correct the roots of chronic disease and illness. In this podcast, I will share with you everything I have learned about how to live the most healthy and radical life possible. Thanks for joining me on this journey. What's up, everybody? I hope you are all having a good week. I have an amazing podcast for you this week. It is with none other than my friend Ken Berry. He returns. He returns. He's back. He's a practicing board-certified physician. You know him. He's an Amazon best-selling author. He's written the book, Lies My Doctor Told Me. He's in the process of writing his second book, which is called Common Sense Keto for Type 2 Diabetes. He looks forward to working with the real people of the world, and Ken is a man of the real people of the world in continuing his mission to bring an end to obesity and type 2 diabetes epidemics, along with bringing awareness to such issues as thyroid health and hormone optimization. Ken is the man. He is a smooth-talking Southerner. He knows what he's talking about, and I love that he brings it home and really helps make it understandable to all that are listening. In this discussion, we talk about the roots of illness, the simple solution to solving the healthcare crisis now, how we could save trillions of dollars in yearly healthcare costs. You guys will really enjoy this one. We go into common side effects on ketogenic and carnivore diets, common pitfalls. We talk about some of the patients that both he and I have struggled with or had trouble with and might help with troubleshooting as well. So please enjoy this episode with Ken Berry. I always greatly enjoy my time with him personally. Before we jump into that, I want to tell you about Ancestral Supplements. They sponsor this podcast. I appreciate them greatly. You guys know about them. They make grass-fed organ meats, which are sourced from New Zealand in simple, convenient gelatin capsules. One of the supplements that I really like from them is the kidney supplement. Kidney is an organ that we don't eat much in Western society, but there are a lot of really unique benefits to the kidney. It's hard to source kidneys, And people are not really used to the taste, so the gelatin capsules are quite helpful. There's actually this old Comanche narrative that has been retold for generations about a young man who loved his wife so much that when she died, he fed her the kidney of a buffalo and she came back to life. The tale has remained within the Comanche people's narrative for many, many generations to serve a greater purpose, which is to pass on the wisdom of feeding kidney to those who are ailing. There are many accounts of our ancestors taking an animal, the young and the warriors favored the liver and the heart, the ailing, the frail, and the old received the kidney to build strength, immunity, and vitality. Kidney does provide concentrated amounts of kidney-specific proteins, B12, selenium, and DAO. Do you know what DAO is? DAO is diamine oxidase, which can help us break down histamine. So a lot of people really appreciate histamine supplements in the form of kidney or I should say the reverse, a lot of people appreciate kidney supplements for histamine issues. Kidney is known to support kidney, urinary, thyroid, and histamine health, and I think this is one that a lot of people would benefit from having in their diet. So check out ancestralsupplements.com to see what they can do for you. They are putting back in what the modern world has left out. The other thing I would love to tell you guys about is my insider. It is my subscriber newsletter. I talk about all kinds of cool stuff. You would know about all the cool podcasts that I am doing in the future if you were a member fundamentalhealthinsider.com. Without further ado, on to the podcast. I appreciate you all so much. Oh, just one more thing, guys. I wanted to let you know that 
I'm going to try and make the intros as short as possible to these podcasts and videos. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about details and what's going on with me in the outro after the video. So if you want to know what's going on with me, if you want to know all the cool stuff I'm doing, listen to the backside if you have time. I don't want to put it in the front because I want you guys to get straight to the episode, what you're here for. But if you're interested in what's going on with me, listen to what's coming on the backside because I'm going to talk about all kinds of cool stuff there. All right, now onto the podcast. What is up? We are live. I am here with Ken Barry, my man. It's good to see you. Hey, man. Good to see you again. I am living in San Diego now, and Low Carb San Diego is in town, and Ken Barry's in town. That's right. And he was just telling me that he's mad at me for not taking him surfing. That's right. But I'm going to make good on that promise soon. Maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow, maybe next time. We're going to go. Let's do it. We're going to go. But it is always good to come to these conferences and see you and see other people. So we did a podcast a couple months ago. You were one of my first guests. Oh. I think you're probably going to be my first repeat guest. Okay, good. On the Flaming Fundamental Health podcast. I accept because, that. Because it is, it is getting super popular. But what have you been up to recently? What's going on in your world, Ken? You are just a globetrotting machine, my man, spreading the good word. Yeah, we just uh, finished with Keto Fest in Connecticut. And I uh, actually flew back to Nashville, spent the night in an Airbnb, and then flew out to Phoenix for a book signing at a bookstore there and spent the night in Phoenix. And then I came to San Diego. So uh, Nisha went home. She's about to start her third trimester. Uh, Congratulations. Our, yeah, man. Yeah, do you have a name yeah, yet? We do, but we're not telling anybody because, you know, if you, if you do, you're like, oh, we're going to name the baby this. Then there's going to always be somebody who's like, oh, my crazy uncle was named that. We all hated him. And then you're like, well. Or my dog's name that, right? And you're like, well, I can't name my kid after your dog now. I'm going to have to change the name. So we decided to just keep it hush-hush. Until, boy or girl? Yeah, boy. Boy. Baby you, boy, will you, will you please name him Iron Man? Iron Man? Iron Man Barry. Yeah, Stark. Stark, yeah. Stark Tony Barry. Stark. <laughs> Anthony Stark Barry. I don't know, maybe, yeah. Well, he's going to be an Avenger, like Nisha you said. Nisha will be 100% on board with that. Okay. But just to tell you, that's her, that's her favorite guy. So, Except for me. But yeah, next is Tony Stark. So, uh, yeah, but I've been traveling a lot, speaking a lot, which I love doing, and uh, finding time every now and then for a YouTube video or a Facebook Live. And you've been at a bunch of conferences. You know, you were talking Keto Fest. You were at KetoCon. Yeah. Were you at, you were Paleo FX? No. No, but you were at KetoCon. You were at Low Carb Salt Lake, the weekend of Paleo FX. That's right. Yeah, so what do you take away from these conferences? Like, Tell me some of the gems because not everybody listening can get to all these conferences. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a struggle to get to all of them. But several things I really enjoy. Obviously, I like to talk, so I get to speak, so that's good. And nobody tells me to shut up when I'm on stage, at least not yet. Um, and then I love listening to the OGs like Stephen Finney and Gary Noakes and Tina Teicholtz, Nina Teicholtz, and, and listening to the, all the research that has basically been buried or just not talked about. For example, Finney today in his lecture was talking about a study that was done back in 1976 that showed that a low-carb diet would completely reverse type 2 diabetes. They had to take the, the people in the study off their insulin, right? And so this was known and published back in 1976, and that's, the study just went nowhere, right? And, and, but that's the study that woke Finney up and made him go, wait a minute. I need to look into this. This is obviously quite powerful. but And so I'm kind of a student of human nature. And so for me, I'm like, yay, Finney, right, for doing that. But then I'm thinking, what about all the other guys that were involved even tangentially in this study? How come everybody at that university wasn't like, wait, what the 
you had to stop. What do you mean you had to stop their insulin? So you you essentially improved their diabetes with a low carb diet. Were there any side effects or any complications? No, they all felt great and they did great and they actually lost weight during the study. How come every PhD and MD around that didn't immediately go, what? I need to look into this. Why was it only Finney? Right. And so I love that kind of stuff. But probably the thing that I take home with me and that it keeps me going the most is people come up to me and they're like, dude, you saved my life. Dude, you changed my life. I saw your YouTube video a year ago. I was 289 pounds. I, my A1C was 14. I was on however many meds, right? And now my A1C is perfect. I feel great. I look good. You know, my ex-wife took me back because now I look, I'm, you know, I'm looking good again. I stopped all my meds. I feel great. And now I'm here at this. I came here just to meet you. And I'm like, wow, dude, what do you say to that? Right. What do you say? How does that I, I, feel? I'm, just, I'm so thankful and so grateful that I've been given this opportunity to do that because that's why I went into medicine. Right. Was to help people, to save people, to change people's lives. And I found, you know, like back in 2003, when I was a stupid, fat, pre-diabetic, unwoke doctor, you know, people would come in every six months. I'd write, I would increase their prescription strength and, and I would note that they'd gained another seven pounds in six months. And I would tell them to eat more whole grains and try to jog a little, and I'd see them in six months. And it, it was drudgery. It sucked. I, I didn't enjoy practicing medicine at all. And then when I kind of discovered, you know, and my, my path kind of went from ancestral to, to paleo to primal to, to low carb, then to keto, and then now for the last 17, 18 months, it's been carnivore. That's my journey. And I started out at 297 pounds and an A1C of 6.1 and severe knee pain from an old basketball injury, severe GERD, rosacea, dandruff, uh, and just chronically pissed off. Everything pissed me off, right? And now at 50, I feel better than I felt at 35. I look better than I looked at 35. I behave better. My mood's better. Like literally I could go on and on. And so when people come up to me and they have that similar story, like, dude, you changed my life. I'm like, yeah, but it started with changing my life. And then when I said, hey, this is powerful, this works. And then I started talking about it out loud. Just, just the ripple effect. You know, oh, I shared your video with my mom. Oh, I shared your video with my daughter. Yesterday, a lady said, you know, her daughter had a few extra pounds to lose and, and a teenager and had severe acne. And I, I've got an acne video on YouTube. On, yeah, and she's like, oh, my God, look, here's a doctor saying you can actually make your acne better and lose weight with the same diet. And now her daughter's on board. Her daughter's doing keto now. And already your acne's better in a month, you know. And just that kind of stuff, that's, that's fuel for my fire. It's pretty incredible to have people come up to you. I'm just on the beginning of this, you know? I'm a newbie. I'll go to these conferences, and every once in a while, somebody will come up, and I, I, I can't, I'm like, what is going on here? Why are they, do they know who I am? But nope. I guess they do sometimes. So yeah. it's a pretty cool thing for me, too, but uh, I'm just beginning my journey in the space. So let's talk about acne. I mean, we haven't talked about acne before. Yeah. I haven't talked yeah. about acne on sure. any podcast. So yeah. when I was in medical school, people said acne was like bacteria. You know, right. it's propiana bacteria right, right, and the right. follicles and the way you get rid of acne is you got to kill the bacteria. Right. Acne is just a bacterial right. infection in your face. And the reason you have acne is because you are not cleaning your face well right. enough or you yeah. have too much oil on your face for some genetic reason. Yeah. 
And you it's know, hormones, it's increased sebum production, it's increased skin cell production, and it's uh, inflammation, and it's infection from the and they the dermatologists have actually changed the name of it now. I can't remember what they're calling it now, but it's not it's not P acne anymore. But yeah, that that was it, and the, and so I would prescribe all the expensive prescription, you know, creams and lotions and pills. And back in the day, I would prescribe Accutane for the severest cases of acne. It works like magic, right? But it's very dangerous. You have to monitor them. You know, if, if, if you the female patients, they have to ha- use two forms of birth control and get a pregnancy test every month because you do not want an Accutane baby to come. And, and actually, when I was in my residency, I had an Accutane baby in the, in the ICU, mm-hmm at Le Bonner in Memphis, and you just don't want that. And so doctors are rightfully mortified of, of that happening. And so now, looking back, I can see how ridiculous all that was because acne is just a combination of inflammation and chronically elevated insulin. And when you take care of those two, because the chronically elevated insulin is going to also tweak all their other hormones as well, right? And when you fix those two things, acne goes away. Acne is an artificial modern disease. And that was air quotes that I just did around disease because I don't think, I think they're all pretty much the same thing. They're all caused by the same thing. What are they all caused by? Caused by chronic inflammation and chronically elevated insulin. Right. That's what causes all of these quote unquote diseases that, you know, and so we've got this specialty over here, you know, dermatologists are all worried about the acne and the endocrinologists are all worried about the the type two diabetes. And it's the same damn thing. Couldn't agree with you more. It's the same thing. And so, but, and, and so at some point I thought, well, I wonder if I just swabbed a hundred teenagers with no acne to severe pitting, scarring acne, I bet they'd all have P acne on their skin. Why is it this subset that have the severe acne and these have a few blackheads and these have a few whiteheads and these don't have any acne. And it's just because it's, it's diet. It's all diet and lifestyle. That's what all of it is. There's this really insidious notion in Western medicine that all of these conditions are a bad poker hand. Yeah. That people are just dealt genetics, that people are dealt bad genetics and it drives me crazy because it pardons Western medicine physicians who I respect greatly but it pardons us ideologically from actually having to ask difficult questions about what is behind these illnesses. 100%. I totally agree. And that's one thing that, and, and I love that you brought up Western thought because the second thing that Western thought shackles us to is that if there's a problem, you have to add something to the equation, right? It's never, it's never thought, oh, we, maybe we need to remove something from this person's environment. It's always, oh, you need a pill. You need a cream. You need a lotion. And, and, and the, the, the corollary to that would be you have to spend some money, right? And that's how we think in Western society. If there's a problem, you have to either add a, a pill, a powder, a potion, a product, and it's going to cost you some money, right? And it's almost like it all is this big morality play, You've got to pay to get better. You've got to pay for your sins. You have to pay for your genetics, right? And that couldn't be further from the truth because you can take the same kid with the same genetics, change their diet to a keto, low-carb, carnivore diet. Their acne is, you know, from 70 to 80% better in a month. Right. Right. And what, what other what FDA-approved uh, acne medication will give you 70 to 80% resolution in a month. That's that, that keeps going as long as you keep doing it. And doesn't mutate your baby. And there's no copay. <laughs> and there's no prior approval. And there's no side effects. And you don't wind up with a baby in the ICU. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's such a, it's such a crazy paradigm shift that's happening now. And these patients that are being sold, the Western medical paradigm, I think are just really at it being done a disservice, Absolutely, a great disservice. hundred percent. And I've apologized so many times for my former egregious ignorance as a physician. And I want to take your podcast as another opportunity to apologize to the patients who I harmed back when I was practicing just standard Western allopathic medicine. I apologize. And that's one of the reasons I'm so driven to do this is because I've got a lot of damage to undo. I, I hurt a lot of people. I probably kill people with my ignorant medical advice back before I knew better. And so I'm going to basically devote the rest of my medical career, whether that's practicing one-on-one in the clinic, whether that's YouTube videos or Facebook lives or, or, or yelling at some vegan on Twitter, I'm going to devote the the rest of my professional career to trying to, to 10 times or 100 times undo the damage that I did back when I was an ignorant, regular family doctor. I love it, man. That's powerful. That's heavy, yeah. bro. That's intense. That's it. That's why you when you see me, you're like, he's back on another live? What is he doing? That's why I'm doing that, because I've got this gnawing guilt the, of, of trying to undo all the damage that I did with my ignorant prescriptions and my ignorant advice. What do you think needs to happen for us to change the system for physicians or maybe, maybe it's not our job, but maybe it is our job, you know, yeah. who can change the system and how do we do it in your opinion? Because the way that I see this is that Western medicine physicians, myself, you, we're not trained in how to ask questions about what's causing an illness. On the first podcast that we did, you said something that stuck with me. And I thought it was so true. You said Western medical physicians are trained in which pill to give. And that's exactly how I was trained. Right. And I think that being trained in which pill to give gives me an out all the time. Because if a patient comes in and I think to myself, I don't know what to do, that's a real ego conundrum. That's a really scary place for yeah. me as a human. Yeah. Yeah. I have an MD after my name. Mm-hmm. I've spent all this time and money and I don't know what to do for this person. Yeah. You're supposed to know, but you don't. Because many times we don't know. And I, I think that's one of the one of the great conundrums that so many doctors are stuck in. And then you add to that a little fear of the medical board and a little fear of what your colleagues are going to say or going to think or going to write. And so most doctors just feel handcuffed and they're just like, nah, just forget it. I'm just going to do this. I'll, I'll use keto for me because it works, but I'm afraid to talk about it with my patients. And I know that I've been near this situation in the past in my residency. I always kind of rebelled against giving medications as a knee jerk, which is probably why I was not a favorite in my residency, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I've always been kind of the black sheep, but you know, I think that there's a lot of safety in doing that. Oh, absolutely. If somebody comes into you with acne and you give them Accutane, that's normal. Right. You are hailed right. as like, you followed the guidelines well, right. you did good. Exactly. If you tell them about the keto diet, you're, you're stepping out on a limb. You are right. taking a risk in doing that. Right. And so how do we change this paradigm? Because I think that for most of the physicians that I have worked with and that I know, like, they just they want to help patients. I don't think physicians are bad people, but we're not given tools in medical school no. to actually step outside of the box. And so what do we do? My colleagues give SSRIs and antipsychotics. Yeah. I think the step one is to fix yourself. And that, that was my step one, right? I couldn't, I could not be an obese doctor going into patients exam room saying you need to lose some weight. And as they glanced down at my the button on my over my belly button that was about to pop at any moment. I can't do that. Right. And so first of all, doctor, you need to heal yourself. 
and you need to figure out how that works, whether that's keto, low carb, carnivore, whether that's, you know, whatever, uh, whether it's vegan keto, I don't care. You need to figure out and fix yourself and you need to look like and feel like a healthy, happy person. And when you've done that, then you can start sharing that with your patients. Um, that's just what you have to do. And so I pray for Nina and the Nutrition Coalition. I wish them the best, and I hope that they change the world from the top. But I don't, I don't have any hope that that's going to happen. I think that we're going to change this from the bottom up, just like any good revolution. And that's what this is. This is a food and health revolution. We're basically, you and I and everybody in this space, we are rediscovering the proper human diet. That's what we're doing, right? And so there are huge money powers that be that are not going to like this at all. And they have lobbyists at the federal government level and the state government level. And that's why I just I think that most of the efforts at the top are just going to fizzle out because you'll think you're making progress and then the right lobbyist will take the right senator to dinner and you're done. It just got tabled and it's done. It's over, right? But if I can reach enough people on YouTube and you can reach enough people with your podcast and the, all the other things you and I are doing, then when, when big food and big pharma get together, which you know they're going to do, they're not going to, they're not going to give up. Happening. A, they're not going to give up a multi-billion dollar business. They're not going to be like, oh, well, yeah, keto's right. Forget it. We'll just lose money on our stocks and go about our business. They're not going to do that. They're going to at some time at some point they're going to man up aggressively and they're going to try to squelch this. And my my goal my, is to have so many hundreds of thousands or millions of people woke. And no, no, dude, this this has helped me so much. There's no way this is wrong, right? And to have seen that research study from 1976, which I'm going to post about on my Facebook page later this evening, and to just know, no, this, no, this is the proper human diet. I'm supposed to eat lots of fatty meat, maybe a little veg, maybe not, maybe some mushrooms, maybe not. But that's how I'm supposed to eat. I'm a human being. I'm a human animal. I have to feed me the proper human diet or I will get sick. I'll suffer and I'll die early. And so I think that if we've got enough people, it's on the radar. Oh, so it does matter what we eat, right? If you eat processed crap that's sit on the shelf for two years, that's going to lead to disease and inflammation. Of course, that makes perfect sense. And so I think we've got, we have tools right now until they're taken away from us. Social media and, and all the different outlets that we can reach people we need to be wearing those things out because at some point that's going to start to dry up when, when, you know, profits like Weight Watchers stocks down 30%. When that starts happening to big pharma and big food, when they start not hitting their quarterly goals, oh, they're, they're going to start throwing so many millions of dollars at, at us trying to shut us up. And we, we got to have a bunch of people on board by that point. And so my, my strategy is bottom up. I'm I'm going to go to the to the the people, the common guy with a job and a wife and a dog and say, "Hey man, are you sick of being a a fat, lazy, inflamed, you know, dude that literally after dinner the only thing you're capable of doing is getting in the recliner? Are you sick of that?" Cuz I was sick of it. Or if you are you sick of it, let me tell you what to do. Go watch my Keto 101 series on YouTube. Then you'll know what to do. And once you he does that, he's like, "Fine, I'll try it or whatever, you know." And once he's literally transformed himself, into almost a different person. You you think you're going to come at him with a TV commercial or, or a, a CNN news article saying, Oh, keto is dangerous. He's going to be like, F you, man. I don't even, I don't even care what you say. 
because I know what this did for me and my mama and my dog because I stopped feeding my dog kibble and started feeding him meat and he's like a new dog, right? You're not going to be able to persuade that guy with with some propaganda on on Fox or CNN. He's not going to hear you. That's what that's my that's that's my strategy. I think that's pretty cool. And as I'm in this community more, I see it so often. There's so much misinformation. This feels like a battle for the hearts and minds of people. It feels like a battle for clear, accurate, honest information. Yeah. And it is it is really hard sometimes to feel the current that is pushing against us of misinformation, of other issues, of um, of of propaganda, of frankly misinterpreted studies. It's I don't know. It's interesting, you know, talking to Sean Baker and other people. How do we combat this? Is a good question. Yeah. I'm curious how you think we should combat this because my friend Ben is here with me this weekend, hanging out, and he was saying that he was talking to one of his friends about meat. He was going to get a cow, and the you know what what his friend said was, "I would never eat that much red meat. I don't want to get cancer." And like this is this is what we're up against. Yeah, the general population has been convinced that that meat is bad for you. And right. so we are trying to undo all of this endless, endless propaganda that has been foist upon us. I guess my first question is, do you think that some of this misinformation is, is sort of in, nefarious? Probably at some level, there it is nefarious. But I think for just the average doctor or the average guy walking the street, they're parroting what they were told. And, it, you know, meat is so delicious and so... Um, enjoyable that it's like you know many things in life if if it's that pleasurable it's probably bad right why do you think we feel that way well i think because some things in life that are very pleasurable are bad right like if you're smoking crack i've heard it's really nice but that doesn't mean i want to try it right but it smoking crack's bad you shouldn't do that right and and a lot of people don't understand the reason you shouldn't do that is because it's going to harm you long term. They think it's bad because that anything that feels that good's got to be bad, right? And so bacon is not bad, even though bacon is divine, right? Butter's not bad, even though it, it is delicious. Those things are not bad for you. Some things that we eat, we get, we we derive a lot of pleasure, because they're habit forming, right? And so when you're talking about sugar, when you're talking about processed grains, when you're talking about the pleasure point that big food corporations pay uh, engineers and pay psychologists to figure out where's the perfect pleasure point of salty and sweet and crunchy and savory all at the same time, right? And that's a Dorito. That's what that is, right? And so they, they pay people thousands of dollars to figure out where's the exact perfect point so that I can not only advertise you can't eat just one, but I can ensure they can't eat just one because when you eat one, it's like crack. You're going you're gonna to keep on eating them until the bag is empty, and you're going to go buy another bag. We're fighting against a big machine here. And so I think part of that, it, it all goes back to that Western morality. If it tastes that good, man, it must be bad for you, right? And so I think a lot of us just blindly believe that. I know I did. I never looked at the, the research about meat, red meat causing colon cancer. I'd never really looked into it as a doctor. I just believed it because it was in all the medical journals, right? Every now and then to be a little update, like, oh, yeah, here's this study, the World Health Organization, blah, blah, blah. And I never really looked at that with, with fresh, inquisitive eyes, 
I was I was already brainwashed, and so I just read it through that lens. Much like I figured the guys back in 1976, they looked at that study of, of reversing diabetes with a low-carb diet, and they're like, that's weird. I don't know. That's weird, right? Yeah, okay, well, let's get on with our lives. And just uh, they didn't see that as just a uh, you know an epiphany. Like, oh, my God, what is this? They're just like, oh, that's weird. Okay, let's go back and let's go eat some, you know, let's go eat some donuts for the lunch conference. If they're not awakened, you know, like you said, I mean, woke, you know, if, yeah. not, if we're not ready to receive this wisdom, we're not, we're just going to miss it. It's going to hit yeah. us in the face yeah. and drip off. Sound kooky. Yeah. And then you're like, I don't know, whatever. We don't even see it. Yeah. I do think it's a uniquely American idea that something that tastes good cannot be good for us. Yeah. yeah. And that is interesting to me because in other parts in Western Europe, it's not that way. Right. You know, you go to Spain, you go to France, like this is a cultural thing yes. in North America, yeah. I believe. And the problem is, is that the U.S. leads the world in many, many ways. And so for what, what for us here is almost a moral thing to the rest of the world sounds like a scientific thing. Because the American Medical Association said this, the ADA said this, the AHA said this, and that's that's as sciencey as it can get to other parts of the world. They don't realize all this moral quagmire that we're in in, in the U.S. trying to separate fact and fiction, and and you know our our religion if we have it or not, and say no. Look, what's the facts? What are human being human animals? What are they supposed to eat so that they can have optimal human function? What is that diet? And that is so scrambled by the by the twin blades of, of government and religion and all the advertisements we see and then all of our morality that we were taught as a child, all that goes into that. But then all they see when, when our guidelines are adopted in Australia or other, other countries is, oh, this is from the U.S. This must be the state of the art. And there's so much of a cultural flavor in that. Like yep. you said, our... You know, our our morality from our history as westernized, yeah. you know, like North Americans is yeah. completely influenced by Not that. too many decades ago, we outlawed alcohol in this country. And I, I think alcohol is bad for you. You shouldn't drink much alcohol at all. But we had a we had a constitutional amendment to outlaw alcohol in our entire country. That's the that's that's where we came from. And so we finally corrected that. But that same kind of mentality, if we can whip up enough fervor, we'll outlaw bacon. And you may have just seen recently there's a, a doctor uh, assembled a, hundreds of other doctors in front of the White House to break up with bacon. That's They had the signs and writing. And this is one of our, our vegan brothers that doesn't know, you know really what he's doing yet. He sells lots of books and stuff, but... He he's still not really with us yet. He'll get here. He'll get here eventually because doctors are all we're all searchers, we're learners, we're students. That's what we are at heart. And so I, I think all the vegan docs will come around eventually, but they'll probably be the last. I think they'll come around eventually because they'll get so sick. Like you yeah, said, it's yeah. kind of a grassroots proof yeah. is in the point. Or they'll have seen enough patients that have listened to your podcast and watched my YouTube videos who have transformed their physical and mental life. They'll have to go, okay, uh, I don't know what to do here. Uh, a good friend of mine, Peter Ballerstadt, he says, when you show an honest man the truth, he either st- uh, an, an ignorant but honest man, he either stops being ignorant or he stops being honest. Right. 
And right. that's the choice you're faced with ultimately when you hear the bell ring. When, you know, some of these doctors are here at this conference. They're like, dude, after I'd seen 20 or 30 patients, and they're like, keto transformed my life. If one patient said that, you'd be like, okay, whatever, you're nuts. But when 10 patients, when 20 patients, how many patients does it take before a doctor says, what the hell is going on with this keto business? I got to Google this. And then they find your podcast or my YouTube video, and they're like, really? Are you kidding me? And they start looking up some of the references, right, that you cite and that I, that I put at the end in the show notes. They're like, holy crap, this has been here the whole time. It's, I, it's like I was blind or I just wasn't seeing with, with open eyes or something. I, I mean, this has been in the literature since 1976. I never saw it. Or did I see it and ignore it? I don't know. But either way, I'm, now I'm going to change my practice. Well, it's interesting to think that patients are often educating their physicians now. It or, happens all the time. Like you're saying, this could be a grassroots movement where patients, you know, non-physicians are going to lead this and they are going to influence their physicians. Right. And I love what you said about the physicians actually having to get healthy first because I don't even know how they let us finish medical school if we're not healthy. I think that, 100%. you know, it should, I think it should be part of our boards. So yeah. We have step one, we have yeah. step two, yeah. you have to see patients. And then they said, hey, now go run a mile. Right. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. How many push-ups can you do? Yeah. What yeah. are you seeing patients? Yeah. How are you seeing patients if you are not healthy yourself? Yeah. Absolutely. And so if there are any doctors out there listening who are morbidly obese, and I know several in, in my community, dude, what are you doing? That's like, it's like you're a mechanic and your car won't start, right? Or you're, you're the pest control guy and your house is overrun with roaches. Why, why are your patients listening to you? Why do you think they should listen to you? You can't even fix your own health but yet you're going to be their health expert? Really? Come on. What are you doing? And I, I mean, I've said that multiple times on Facebook lives and I've had, I've had kickback. Like you're, you're, you know, this is insensitive. You're being, I'm like, no, when you stand up and put on that white coat, you better, first of all, know what the hell you're talking about. And secondly, you better lead by example. Otherwise, what are you doing? I agree with you completely. I, I just, yeah. And it's not a judgment against no. Our fellow physicians who may be out of shape and overweight, it's just, hey, look at your look at yeah, what you're doing. I'm not shaming anybody. I'm saying if look that's your you, message. If, if, you're, if you're upset with me right now because of what I'm saying, then you need to fix yourself. You're broken. Yeah. I used to be 297 pounds. If you'd have come back to me then and said, what's a fat ass like you telling me? I mean, I had patients in the South. We, you know, we say it. If it needs to be said, somebody is going to have one vodka too many and they're going to say it out loud. And that's how it is. And I would have patients literally chuckle when I would tell them they need to lose some weight. They would look at my belly and chuckle and go, okay, doc, gotcha. <laughs> right? Right. And so there's got to be other doctors out there whose patients are looking at them like, really? That I should, do, I should take your advice? I don't know. When you were starting out as a physician when you were young, did patients not listen to you or because you were young? Because I've personally had a couple people attack me. I went on Mercola's show and I got a lot of, I got a lot of press, you know, and I went on Gundry's show and Gundry's in his sixties or seventies, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, you know, I trained with Andrew Weil at the university of Arizona and I'm just going to call him out right now. Andrew Weil's 80 pounds overweight. Yeah. Right. Andrew yeah. Weil, if you're listening, hit me up, dude. Let's talk. Yeah. You got to fix you. You got to help you. You got to get healthy, man. Yeah. Definitely. And you know, and I think people listen to Andrew Weil because he's got a big beard and they see these elderly physicians and think yeah. that guy's wise. It's signals of authority. That's because what it is. It's so strange because I've had people attack me saying that guy's too young. How does he, he doesn't, how does he know what he's talking about? Right. He's too young. Right. And I think, 
you guys, first of all, don't know how long I've been in medical school. They don't know how old I am. Right. You know, I'm 42 years old. Yeah. Just because I look younger, yeah. Yeah. That, that's to my credit. That's man. actually a good sign. I know, right? Yeah. But, but I don't tell people how old I am, right? right? But they, they, I think they think I'm 20 yeah. or 25 years old. And I'm like, that, you guys are crazy. So did you get that when you were younger? Oh, it kinda, absolutely. It kind of yeah. bothers me that, yeah. that, you, that as a physician, you have to look old to be respected. Well, it, and you get into the, and I'm a, I'm a huge student of human nature. And there are, so there's a, a very common logic fallacy of authority, right? And so if a guy's got a, a gray beard, if he's wearing a white coat, if he has a, a stethoscope around his neck, if he's, if, you know, he's got gray hair, that guy is by definition, he's an authority, he's smart, you listen to him. That and that's not that's not some failing in in people. That's a law of human nature, and everybody who tries to get on TV and you know they try to be an authority, they're going to try to hit every trigger that they can to look like an authority, right? The the stockbroker is going to have a thousand dollar suit, five hundred dollars shoes. He's going to drive a, a Lamborghini. Those are triggers that says that, that you're sending a signal. Hey, I know what I'm talking about. Listen to me. I'm an authority, right? I'm a, I'm an influencer. And so doctors naturally we're taught to, you know, we have a coding ceremony, at least in my, you, you put on the coat and you are now different. You're changed somehow. You're somehow semi-magical, but people got to realize it doesn't matter. You cannot attack the messenger. If you do that, oh, Saladino's too young, you know, Barry's too Southern. You can't, you're attacking the messenger. Don't, don't attack the messenger. Listen to the message. Is the message correct or is it incorrect? Do people get healthier when they follow what Saladino says or do they get more unhealthy? That's what, that's the, that's the, me, the stick I want you to measure this with. What does our message do to people? I've got an idea. I think we should have like a Spartan race with all the doctors <laughs> and all of the, who promote all the things. Yeah. 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 We're going to invite Dave Asprey, yeah. Stephen Gundry. Dave Asprey's not a doc, but we know we'll invite Stephen yeah. Gundry, Michael Greger. We'll invite Joel yeah. Furman. I want to go one step further. I want to have just a cage match between <laughs> you and Neil Bernard and you and Michael Greger. I, I mean, just have no gloves, no headgear. We're just going to go at it because ultimately the reason we're the alpha species on this planet is because we kicked everybody else's ass. Right. That's I mean, let's just be honest here. Now, should we love our planet and take care of our planet? And and yes, 100 percent. But at the same time, we are we're warriors. That's what we are. And so I, I'm saying I'm seeing you and Gregor in the cage, man. And and let's just see. OK, you've got your you've got your diet, and your lifestyle. He's got his. Let's just see who comes out of the out of the cage. It's like the new UFC, you yeah, know. It's a totally yeah, new UFC. Yeah, absolutely. That's how the UFC got started. All yeah, these different. So all you fat, unhealthy doctors out there, or if you know you're so emaciated that climbing a, a flight of stairs you got to lay down afterwards, you need to step it up a notch. You need to fix your diet because when you get in the ring with Saladino, he's going to take <laughs> you down if you don't. That's great. I love it. I mean, it would. I think it would. It would be something that people could understand. Absolutely. Because what happens now, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, is people see the talking heads on the news, and that's the news reporters, and they're talking about a study that says eating half a serving of meat a week or a day is going to decrease your lifespan. And there's, there's, there's no contextuality. There's no validity. There's no quality measure of that. Right. They see a doc has MD after his name or DO after his name or whatever, and he's talking about a vegan diet or a plant-based diet, and there's, there's no standardization, you know? Right. So some way to just, I think that is the thing that I'm wrestling with the most is how do we help people understand where the validity is and where the, yeah. the 
baloney is, you know? Right. And that's why I, I try to share my life as much as I can. And I wish I had more pictures of me before. And uh, my youngest daughter, Abby Grace, I, I, I messaged her a few months back. I'm like, I need you to go through your, your albums. I need some fat pictures because I wasn't really that keen on getting my picture taken back then, right? And so she was able to find three or four that were kind of, you know, at an odd angle and you can't really see because I, I knew how to stand. I knew how to, I knew how to get behind somebody so you couldn't see me. And so I think that you and I, people like us, need to live our life in public, right? They need to see you as this 42-year-old doctor out there on the wave surfing. They need to see you running. They need to see me lifting weights in my barn. They need to see me out on my farm with the chainsaw cutting down trees. It's like, no, this is how real healthy human people, that's how we are. We're active. We're strong. We're fast. We're also smart, right? And like, I, you know, me and my friends growing up, we'd be like, man, I'll kick your ass in the boardroom or we can go to the alley. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me because I'm going to walk away from either one victorious that's, 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 that's kind of, I, I have a very high opinion of humans. I don't think that we're bad or weak or sick or in, uh, I don't think that. I think that inherently we're a very strong, very intelligent species. That's why we're where we are today. Right. And so I think a lot of these people are like, Oh, we're, we're a crippled species or we're an evil species. I don't believe any of that. I think we're very, um, charitable, but we're also very aggressive. And so, you know, if you want to be our friend, great, let's be friends. But if you don't want to be our friend, you better watch out. And that's kind of how I've lived my entire life. And some people find that offensive and that's okay. They can go follow somebody else. I think in previous generations, not too long ago, even a couple thousand years ago, there would have been this fundamental metric for the quality of a human yeah. based on how they hunted yes. and how strong they were. Right. And, and every human hunted. Yes. There was not a single person on the planet that didn't hunt right. or, you know, like every, everybody had to do this. Like yeah. if you knew a man or a woman based on their worth, like you could tell because they had to do physical things, you know, and some of them had specializations or they did different things. But, you know, now we've become so divorced from that. that yeah. And we have all these false metrics of success now, right? That mean nothing really, uh, you know, as far as the, the core of our species, it means nothing. If, if you inherited a bunch of money from your dad and now you've got all this stuff, it doesn't mean anything in the true evolu evolutionary sense of what it means to be a human, a homo sapien sapien. It doesn't mean anything, but now that means something, we think, in our current society. But it, it, at any moment, go back to who's the best hunter. And, and so, uh, you know, I would encourage all doctors and all people, you need to be physically as fit as you can be. You need to be as intellectually as, as smart as you can be because all that stuff right now may not mean much, but it, first of all, it's great for your health if you're eating the proper diet and, you, and you've got that lifestyle. Secondly, you never know when that might start mattering quickly, and it ain't going to matter until it does. And when it does, you better be ready. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, you know, the audience that I have is pretty varied, but you mentioned your Keto 101 earlier. Let's just lay it out for people because I think people are, you know, maybe people are hearing this for the first time yeah, and they're thinking, yeah, sure. they're thinking, what's the answer? What's the easy thing? Sure. So what do you talk about in your Keto 101 course? Like, you know, somebody says, okay, I want to, I want to turn this around. Yeah. What, what's Keto 101? So what, what I'm trying to get everybody to do is eat the proper human diet. And I'll tell you what my definition of that is in a moment. But first, let's go through the steps. So let's just say somebody listening right now is eating the standard American crap diet. They don't know anything about nutrition. Here we go. Step one, you're going to remove all sugars from your diet. And that includes uh, organic agave nectar. 
That includes locally grown non-GMO honey. All that stuff's pure sugar. Get that out of your diet immediately. Secondly, number two, get rid of so all- even honey. Even honey. Yep. There, yeah, and uh, people think honey's magic. Right. Honey is just bee vomit that's full of fructose. That's what honey is, okay? It certainly it's, causes a lot of tooth decay in indigenous people. Absolutely, yeah. You eat enough honey, the dentist will love you. That's right. Yeah. So that's step one. Get, get rid of all sugars, even natural sugars. They're still sugar. Step two, get rid of all grains. And, of, and that means rice, oats, wheat, corn. But it also means amaranth and millet and rye and quinoa. God forbid the paleo people just got mad, right? All the, and the reason, why? Okay, why? Because all grains break down into sugar, right? They have very inflammatory things in them, which you talk about all the time, but they ultimately break down into glucose and fructose, just like sugar. That's what they are, right? And there may be a little fiber thrown in there, which you also talk about, but that's what they ultimately are. And so step two is get rid of all grains out of your diet, whether they're processed or whether they're ancient. Get rid of all grains. Step three is get rid of all industrial seed oils. This includes canola. This includes soybean, peanut oil, corn oil, and all the, there's a long list, right? If you can't squeeze something and get oil out of it, it's not a natural uh, human consumable oil. And that's the first three steps. So what are examples of seed oils? So canola, corn oil, soybean oil, right? right? Uh, Safflower oil. Any of these oils that have to go, they have to take the seeds to a factory and do chemical things to them to make an oil. And they have to use detergents and they have to use deodorants to get it to where it's even palatable for humans. Exactly. That's not a natural oil. You should not eat that. The only oils that should ever cross your lips are fruit oils like olive oil, avocado oil, coconut oil, or animal fats, which is what I more and more, that's the only oils I use is is lard, bacon grease, tallow, suet, and stuff like that. That's the first three steps. And now for the average guy walking the street, if they do just those three things, and you're like, but what am I supposed to eat? Everything that ain't that. Okay. And for most guys, that's it. They're like, okay, so I guess I can eat meat. Yeah. That's, that's on there. And I guess I can eat veg. Yeah. Yeah. Eat all the veg you want. For the average guy, that is going to go so far towards reversing their metabolic disease, helping them get the, that fat in the middle off, helping them be more mentally clear, helping them sleep better, helping them do other things in the bedroom better as well. All that stuff just from those three steps is going to get markedly better. What do you think would happen? This goes back to something we were talking about a little earlier before we started the podcast. What do you think would happen in this country if people did that? If like everybody did that, yeah. what would happen? So what would happen to our So the 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 obesity epidemic would stop in its tracks. I agree. And within months, the researchers would be able to see it starting to go down. The type two diabetes epidemic would stop in its tracks and would start, it would level out if not start to go down immediately. The fatty liver epidemic, the kidney failure epidemic. When I was a kid, there was a, there was a dialysis clinic in Nashville, Memphis and Knoxville in Tennessee. That was it. Now in Camden, Tennessee, which is a tiny little nothing town, there's a dialysis clinic. What? What in the world? Why is there a dialysis clinic in this? In this, the whole county has sixteen thousand people. Why is there? A di- you see my point? So kidney failure would just, in, unless you had ingested some toxin or poison, there wouldn't be any such thing. The hypertension, all all this stuff would start to immediately do an about face and start to go down. 
that's what would happen right off the bat. Now, I don't know if you're talking about the economic ramifications of what would happen, but that's what that's why big pharma and big food don't want us talking about this. Because if everybody gets better and their diabetes goes away and their fatty liver goes away and their hypertension goes away and their ED goes away, I don't know what that would do to big pharma. You tell me. I think it would collapse. I think it would save. I mean, we're talking about a healthcare budget in this country that's in the billions. Yeah. I think that, you know, billions of dollars would be saved with yeah. those three very simple interventions. Yeah. And if I could snap my fingers like Thanos and every American citizen st- did step one, step two, and step three, what would happen to big food? You tell me. And then we get back to the sort of discussion about the politics because big right. food would collapse. Bayer yeah. Monsanto would lose yeah. and yeah. Cargill, Absolutely. which which of course we know. Yeah. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we work for. We, we work won't for talk Cargill. about that. Yeah. <laughs> we don't work for Cargill. <laughs> so, you know, I mean like yeah, it would change it would change the outlook. It would change the entire political, yeah. socioeconomic landscape radically. I mean, yeah. th- that is and I don't understand why that doesn't happen, but we'll talk about that later as well. And a third thing they would do that I that I per- is very near and dear to my heart is that it would return economies to a local scale, which I'm, I've been a huge proponent of for, for 30, 40 years, there would be local farmers who would now be, be paid enough for their eggs or for their, their, their beef or for their, their cat, whatever, that they could actually, that could be a sustainable business. They could actually just be a cattle farmer and, and sell great quality meat to people. People could have egg farms. People would have chicken. People could grow vegetables again, because you know you know the U.S. government subsidizes all the grains hugely. How what, what kind of subsidy do you think broccoli farmers get? Nothing. They don't get any. What about cattle Asparagus, farmers? Asparagus. What do they get? They get no subsidy whatsoever. So actual real vegetables get no subsidy in this country at all. But if you grow corn or soybean or wheat, oh man, here's here's a check. Why do you think that is? I mean, uh, I think, maybe we I need to ask some Nina. Have good lobbyists. Yeah, I mean, this is a crazy thing. I want to get Nina Tykoltz on this podcast and talk to her. But why are these grains subsidized? Yeah, it's, it's big food. It's Kellogg's I mean, and tobacco subsidized. Yeah. Wait, wait, what? Yeah. Oh, wait, what? Yeah, look it up. Gov- federal U.S. government writes checks to tobacco farmers. Hundred percent. Yeah. So all these all these things, and so basically it started out, you know, the sugar farmers, they get tons of subsidy as well. Nobody talks about that. Why didn't everybody talk about that? I mean, how is that okay for the average U.S. congressman or U.S. senator that, you know, obviously everybody, every dentist agrees sugar is bad for you. Every MD agrees. If they don't agree with us about anything else, they agree sugar is bad. But the federal government is subsidizing sugar on a daily basis. What the hell? If we just take a moment here, let's just go into like the polit- political realm because I just I'd love to ask you this question. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm triggered now. Me and Michael Greger, we agree sugar is bad. You should not eat sugar, but the U.S. government subsidizes sugar. How do we change? I mean, do you think? And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, so we don't have to belabor it. But is it even possible to change this at a political level? In your opinion, is this just a losing battle? Is there too much corruption at the? There's there's too much lobby. There's too much, too much money against yeah. us. I, I think you could change it in 20 to 30 years How? At, from the top down. But I'm not interested in waiting for 20 to 30 years. And I don't, uh, do you have any doctors listen to this podcast? Probably a few. I right? hope so. Yeah. And so they probably all either know the story of Semmelweis 
or they should know the story of Dr. Semmelweis. And he basically, in a nutshell, was the doctor back before we even knew what the germ theory of disease was. He said, you know, maybe we shouldn't be mucking around in cadavers and then going over and delivering babies without even washing our hands. That's probably stupid. We should probably at least wash our hands before we deliver babies with, you know, dead ca- cadaver meat on us. We should, and back then they didn't have formula. So you can imagine the putrid crap that was on these doctors' hands. And he pub- he did the research. He published the paper. He did everything right. He did it by the book, right? And the powers that be said, you're just a young punk. You're like Saladino. You, you, you look like, you know, your, your, your white coat's not long enough for you to be telling us what to do. And they ran him out of medical practice, and he died in, a, in an insane asylum. That's what happened to him. It took 70 years, and that's my, that's my nugget. I want every doctor, every healthcare provider to understand. It took 70 years from the time he published his paper before it became common practice to wash your damn hands before you delivered a woman's baby. 70 years. How many, how many women died? How many babies died in 70 years because hard-headed, arrogant doctors wouldn't be told you need to wash the dead cadaver off your hands before you go deliver a baby? So I'm not interested in waiting 20 or 30 or 40 years for this to happen from the top down. I'm not interested in waiting 25 years before the American Medical Association and the American Diabetes Association hold a joint press conference and say, you know that 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 eat lots of whole weed and that don't eat any saturated fat business? We were 100% wrong about that, so y'all can go back to, your, to eating the proper human diet. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in, in, in helping the people that I meet at these conferences transform their life, change their life in a way that they didn't even think was possible. There are 70-year-olds running around at this conference acting like 20-year-olds, right? That's power. That's magic. And so I'm, I'm interested in reaching out to those people and helping just one person at a time on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram saying, hey, man, you don't have to suffer like that. And I don't want that person to have to wait 20 or 30 years to get the benefit when finally the powers that be come around. I think that's awesome. And I, I think this is something really cool that I'm kind of taking away from this talk with you that I think a lot of people start to think this way, right? They're yeah. thinking, how do we change it? Yeah. And I think they think like, how do we get the powers that be? How do we make political moves? And what you're saying is pretty radical and pretty intriguing. Like, hey, we don't even worry about the politics. Don't worry about it. We just get the message out yep. to a lot of people. Yep. Fix when, you. Fix your mama. Fix your neighbor. Repeat. That's right. all you got to do. And then when people hear about it and they've had the experiences, all the stuff on the news isn't going to mean jack. That's right. They're going to know it's propaganda. They'll know that's what it They'll is. Know Just like it. in the Soviet Union, people used to know it, stuff was pro- – it's like, that's not true. That's propaganda. Because they've had the experience themselves. Sure. So what we need to do is enable people to have the experience of improving their health through diet and lifestyle, a ketogenic lifestyle, a yeah. carnivorous lifestyle, a paleo lifestyle, yeah. whatever. And then when they hear stuff that says – ketogenic diet is bad for you. You don't want to be a fat burner. You'll get keto crotch. You'll get keto crotch, <laughs> keto flu, you know, right. keto armpits right. and 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 right. you'll get keto rash. Keto butt crack. Right. You never know what's going to come. You'll get next. Keto, you'll get you'll get yeah, you'll get everything wrong with you. Your 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 thyroidal tank, all right. this kind of stuff, right? Kill your kidneys. Yeah, it'll yeah, kill, your kidneys. kill your kidneys. Yep, it'll kill your sex drive, your testosterone right. will go down. Right. That, that they'll say, you know what? No, I had the complete opposite thing. That's baloney. They'll realize it's fake news if we yeah. even dare to use that term. And and I think that that will start the movement as a, a robust, yeah. robust wave, which cannot be stopped because yeah. people will not be influenced. And yeah. so 
when people have had that experience. And so I think people have said this on the podcast before, and I appreciate this. People just need to try something. Absolutely. Like do something, make a conscious, conscientious decision for your health yeah. and experience it for yourself. And then you will know. Right. And I think that the majority of people who try a vegan diet will not feel good in six months to a year. Agree. But if they do, then more power to yeah, them. Yeah, dude, as long as you feel great. Not feel okay, feel great. Because if you talk to somebody who's been on keto or carnivore for six months, that's the that's the adjective they'll use. I feel freaking great. Right. I did not know I could feel this good. And so if you don't feel that good, then you need to take a look at your diet with fresh eyes and go, wait a minute, I don't feel that great every day. Maybe I'm poisoning myself with some of this processed crap from big food. Every once in a while, I hear from people who don't feel great on carnivore. Or don't You've probably heard from people who don't feel great on keto. Any words of wisdom about keto pitfalls or people who don't feel great on keto, things you see people running into that are issues? Yeah, I think that if you're eating a processed carbohydrate diet right now, you're addicted to sugar and carbohydrates, okay? So that it's a lot like the alcoholic. If you ask him a week into his detox, how you feeling, buddy? He's going to say, I feel like shit. That's how I feel, and this sucks, and I hate this. But intellectually, does he not know, yeah, I need to keep doing this, because on the other side of this is health, and I can actually be feel normal and feel good again without some artificial substance. And so a lot of people talk about keto flu, carnivore flu, but and, and I think that's a misnomer. I don't think that's what it is. I think what you're feeling is carbohydrate withdrawals, because if you if you Google alcoholic withdrawal symptoms, Read that list of symptoms. How close is that to your keto flu? And I think you'll go, damn, that's, uh, you know, I'm not having any seizures. But other than that, it's pretty much the same exact list of symptoms. For some people, I think they need to focus on making sure they're getting plenty of electrolytes. And for in some people, I think that may contribute a little bit to those symptoms. But I think for 90% of people, it's carbohydrate withdrawal. you got to break the addiction. And so if an alcoholic is having alcohol withdrawals, what, I mean, should you give him a drink? So he'll feel better? No. No, no way. No, he's got to tough that out for two to six weeks until he's broken the chemical addiction, and then he can work on the rest of it. And that's what we have to do if we're addicted to sugar and carbohydrates. I mean, we have these gluteomorphin proteins, you know, in wheat, these things that yeah. mimic yeah. morphine-like yep. compounds that mimic these endorphins in our body. And I've, I've heard of people stopping gluten and having sweats and Absolutely. almost like a heroin type withdrawal, Absolutely. like a morphine type withdrawal from those things. So yeah, that's interesting. So when people are getting keto flu, you're going to recommend tough it out, do the electrolytes. Tough it out and get plenty of electrolytes and eat lots of fatty meat. Yep. Yeah. If you're hungry, eat. People always ask me about this as well. They say, when do the cravings go away? And I think you're getting cravings. That's good. Yeah. Keep going. What does that tell you? Exactly. Yeah, that tells you you're addicted. If you're having, you if you you're are using the word cravings, you have you have an addiction. And if people mess up and they start eating the carbohydrates again, is it the end of the world? Does it mess no, the whole not thing at up? All. No, no. Just, what should they just do? Start back the next morning. Get right back on the horse and act like it never happens. Uh, I mean, how many uh, you've? I'm sure dealt with with tobacco addiction in your practice. How what's how many? What's the average number of times somebody tries to quit cigarettes before they truly are quit forever? A heck of a lot. Three to three to ten times is what I hear from my patients. Yeah, I tried, you know, the, but this time I actually did it. And so I think carbohydrate addiction is fairly powerful. We had a a, a presenter yesterday talking, looking at PET scans of how the brain lights up on sugar and how it lights up on on narcotics. It's 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 almost the same picture. 
right? Mm. And it hits the same exact pleasure centers in the brain when you eat that jelly donut as when you smoke crack. Now, am I saying they are the same thing? No, don't get triggered. Don't get upset. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying they light up the same pleasure centers in the brain. So yeah, you, you are addicted. You, and so you have to just understand that it might take you several tries. That's okay. Just keep trying. You'll get there. We would never have had that kind of sugar evolutionarily. Ever. Ever. I mean, occasional yeah, fruit. Maybe but it didn't in even the look- fall, you would have that for a week. Maybe. But even then, I don't think so because I think the ancestral fruit before we, before we, you know, crossbred it for fat and sweet, I don't think you could, you just couldn't 50,000 years ago. No, you couldn't find this much sugar in a week's time if you, if you try to collect it up that we can have in, in 30 seconds shoved down our gullet. Yeah. I think people misunderstand the notion or, misinterpret the idea that the way that fruit and many things that we eat now in the plant kingdom don't look the way that they did 50,000 years ago. You know, tubers are much sweeter. They're much more carbohydrate rich. Everything's been hybridized. And so ancestral fruits were not similar to what we're eating now. Yeah. And it's not necessarily GMO. It's just that when, you know, any, any good, um, uh, horticulturist or, 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 uh, farmer, knows that if you have a, a particularly tasty, sweet watermelon and you, you know, cross-pollinate that with another one, you're going to keep getting sweeter and fatter watermelons. Everybody knows that. Every, every farmer knows that. Every common sense Southerner knows that you can keep breeding fat dogs with each other and you'll eventually have a species that just naturally is a fat dog. When actually we've done that, right? And so, but but don't, a lot of people think I'm saying that, that all of our fruit now is GMO, and that's not what I'm saying. It's just been crossbred by farts, uh, fart, smart farmers, farts farmers, <laughs> by smart farmers who know that if you if you breed like with like, you're going to get that. And so that's where this this these huge sacks of sugar have come from. Hybridization is different than, yeah. than genetically modifying yes. plants. Yeah, this is something we've been doing for a long time. I mean, almonds are hybridized and they're sure. crossbred because almonds used to be frankly toxic to everyone. Absolutely. And same with potatoes, et cetera. This is not the same thing as genetically modified, which is when we're inserting genes from yes. other organisms like bacteria into the genome of a fruit. We're sort of doing a little bit of Frankenstein type of stuff with the genetics. <laughs> right. Yeah. Other pitfalls you see on keto. How many people on keto have you seen have their thyroid tank? Ken? Zero. Zero. Yep. I've seen zero kill their kidneys. I've seen nothing but increasing sex drive, um, incre- decreasing insomnia, insomnia. Everything that you've read an article about, the exact opposite. Keto crotch. Let's talk about that for a Let's second. Talk about keto okay. crotch. I did a YouTube video about this. Um, so things that could cause a less than optimal crotch are bacteria, fungus, right? And that's pretty much it. And so every single thing about keto is going to decrease your odds of a yeast infection. Every single thing about keto is going to decrease your odds of bacterial vaginosis or of any of the other bacterial infections that you might get of, of, of recurrent bladder infections. All those things go away on keto. And so where they even got the, I don't even know who was sitting in that, that, that think tank that thought, yeah, keto crotch, that's what we'll go with next. I don't even know why they thought that was a good idea because every single thing that could give you a less than optimal crotch gets better with keto. I have no idea. I haven't seen any patients with it. Yeah, but I've treated hundreds of patients through the years with chronic yeast infections, with chronic bladder infections, with chronic bacterial vaginosis. All those things go completely away when they, when they turn down the carbohydrate intake knob enough so that their body is not, uh, you know, a, a, a playground for bacteria and fungus anymore. 
Going back to the 1976 study you were mentioning that Stephen Finney was talking about, do you know how low carb those people were? I don't. I, I don't. Well, wait, you're gonna you're gonna publish it, so we'll, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna, gonna, gonna find the link and I'm gonna, gonna put it on my Facebook. Perfect. Yeah, I'll check it out. Have you seen anybody with keto rash? I hear rumors of this on the internet, but I actually haven't seen a single person in my clinic or in person with what I would say, oh, yeah, that's that's an unexplainable rash. It must be keto rash. Uh, I've seen many, many people with a, uh, with a with a dermatitis that's easily explainable, with a yeast infection, with, a, you know, with erysipelas or something else. It's like, oh, yeah, that's not keto rash. You need an antibiotic or something for that. What's erysipelas for people that aren't familiar that's with a, that? That's a strep infection of the skin. I've seen uh, people with, you know, their kids got impetigo, and they're like, oh, I think it's keto rash. It's like, no, you just need some salve. It's fine. Right, and impetigo is another strep infection yeah, of the skin. it's a staph. Yeah. Staph infection yeah. of the skin, yeah. and erysipelas is a strep yeah. infection yeah. of the skin. Yeah. Yep. I had impetigo on my legs when I was in medical school and doing uh, jujitsu. Yeah. And I had bad eczema then, which was right. the beginning of sort of my whole journey, and I would get in Patico frequently, so that was kind yeah, of Yeah, so f- what happened to your eczema? You know, it went away. Oh, weird. It went away. It's odd. Went away about uh, about nine months ago when I started doing carnivore. Well, that's I've really been doing odd. carnivore about a year, yeah. Hmm. Eczema went away. So Who knows? You, you don't see yourself going back to a, a standard American diet? People always ask me if I'm ever going to eat plants again. They say, surely you're going to eat plants again, and yeah. I just don't see a reason to. Yeah. I don't see a reason to. I don't crave them. I don't think about them, you know? I may do some experiments in the future at some point. I actually did a blueberry experiment recently. Mm. You know, this is like breaking news. We're going to like break the internet right. here. Paul Saladin made blueberries. They tasted like garbage. You didn't like them. I didn't like them. They oh, didn't taste good. They tasted tannic in my mouth. I didn't feel any better. I was like, what am I doing? I, I, and it wasn't. I, so I, your brain didn't wake up when you ate some blueberries? My brain didn't wake up. I felt foggier. I didn't feel, I didn't feel any better. I didn't magically have no inflammation because uh, of all the antho pro anthocyanidins and blueberries that I was missing. Yeah. All the all the phytonutrients I was missing. I was just like, ah, oh, they taste kind of tannic and weird. And yeah. this is just my personal experience. Right. But I what I discovered was, you know what? I, I've just developed a taste for animal foods. That's what I look forward to. Yeah. I really do not miss plant foods at all. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever go back to plant foods. I thought maybe I'll eat some blueberries. They're kind of in season now. I got organic blueberries. I, was, I just wasn't impressed. I was like, these are, these are hype. Yeah. These are hype. You know, <laughs> these are, these are hype. I've had a couple of clients tell me who are on karma. They're like, you know what? I ate an avocado and it wasn't that great. You know, they're like, oh, I was kind of, it was just like, and I'm like, yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah. I, I haven't had an avocado, but yeah. that's one of the cool things about carnivores is not dogmatic. You know, right. as I was talking about with Amber, it's not dogmatic. Like it's not the end of the world. If I eat plants, I right. realize it's not the end of the world. If I eat plants, I just don't have an intention or I, I don't have a desire to eat plants right. because I mean, I'm, you know, I just like egg yolks and steak and <laughs> suet and liver sure. and it just feels yeah. so much better. Yeah. 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 Nisha and I, we have some blueberry bushes and, and once a year we'll walk out and we're going for a walk and they'll be just be hanging there and we'll eat some. And it happens like one week out of the year and I still like them. I don't love them. I don't miss them. I never think about them until I walk by the bush and go, oh, look, some blueberries and we'll eat a few. And it's like, oh, they're good. Yeah, okay, whatever. And then we go right back to doing what we do. But uh, I think your story is quite powerful. People reverse eczema and psoriasis with this way of eating. And so it's my mission and I think it's your mission too to, to get at least a million people in America to wake up and go, yeah, eat the food that makes you healthy. If you're eating a diet that makes your health a better place, then you're eating a diet that's going to make our earth a better place. Yeah, I and that is true. Peter Ballerstead's talked about that yeah. as well, that 
And we, I've done I've done lots of episodes in the past about the fact that, you know, eating an animal based diet is in no way, shape, or form bad for the planet. Not at I all. need to continually, you know, harp on this. And I wish I could talk to Rich Roll more. People can listen to the and podcast. And I love our Earth. Don't you love our Earth? I do not uh, hate I the Earth. I love our Earth. I'm not I trying to take kill care the Earth. of it. Yeah. I want to take care of our planet. And for I, my kids and my grandkids and great grand. Oh, I'm, of course. And I. I appreciate animals, and I also appreciate that in order for something to live, something else must die. Every time. And there Every is no time. way around that. Yeah. And so it is not cruel. It is not unusual to eat animals, right. and we have to do so with respect. Yeah. Let the me lion, ask you. The yeah. lion is not guilty of a crime no. for eating the gazelle. That is not a crime. No. It's in, in the same vein, we are carnivores yeah. or, or omnivores. Either way, it is not a crime for us to eat an animal. That's not a crime. I just don't think so. I don't think it's a moral crime or anything. No. no. I got a couple more questions for you about stuff you've seen on this. Occasionally, I see carnivores that are talking about insomnia. Yeah. You seen anybody with keto or a carnivore with insomnia? I, I, I've heard this rumor also on social media, but I haven't actually had a single patient or met anybody, you know, one-on-one who's had insomnia as a mm-hmm. side effect. Have you? I have a couple of clients who have talked to me about it and, or people reach out to me on social media and they say, oh, I have a bunch of insomnia. So I'm trying to follow up with them. I, my impression is that a lot of times it could be related to sensitivities for too much protein. Yeah. I think that there are some people who are sensitive to too much protein. <clears throat> I think a lot of carnivores, in my opinion, are doing a little too much protein mm. and they could get by with you know a little more fat, a little more uh, and a little less protein, but I do have a client who said that she felt like her sleep was better when she was higher fat, mm. moderate protein. I am not recommending low protein to anyone, right? I'm talking right. 0.8 grams sure. per pound of lean body weight, sure. which is way more That's than, about what I recommend too. Yeah, yeah so yeah, I'm not right. recommending low protein. I'm just thinking that if people have insomnia on carnivore, because I've heard it a few times. Eat more fat. Eat more fat, yeah. see how it goes, check your electrolytes, see what's going on. Because I've I, there, are, there actually are a number of people now that think about it who have said, I feel the best on carnivore and I can't sleep. Mm. And I'm thinking, all right, let's dig into gotcha. it. Gotcha. And if that were within the six, first six weeks of them going carnivore, I would say we're, it's still withdrawal because insomnia is a withdrawal symptom. Could be an adjustment phase. It's an, it's yeah, and so if you you know an alcoholic's not going to sleep at all for the first few weeks when they're drying out, they don't sleep well at all. Yeah, and so it could be a withdrawal symptom. But if it's past six weeks, then obviously it's not. But you're saying that that just increase the fat, eat more fat. I think so, and you know this is one of the things that I'm open to as well. The idea that, I mean, I don't know that I believe that carnivore is going to fix everybody. You know, yep. I think that I had did a podcast with Dom Diagostino a little bit. I think that it's possible that a small percentage of the population, and I don't know this for sure, may have polymorphisms where they really don't make yeah. ketones very well. Have yeah. you seen this at all? Maybe. Because I haven't seen it at all, but yeah. I, I, I get what you're saying, and I agree. There may be a subset of the population that needs some veg in their diet. That just can't do beta oxidation, yeah. yep. yep. and they're just not they're just not going to run yep. well on this. Yeah. And I think in that case, there's easy ways to kind of circumvent that because right. what I hear invariably, Ken, and again, there's a confirmation bias here because I'm a carnivore-ish doctor. You know, I'm, I treat everybody. I don't just treat carnivores, but people find me because of the work I do sure. in this space. And they'll say, you know what? Everything else got better when I went to carnivore and I got insomnia. And then they go back to eating vegetables and they go, well, my sleep got better and my depression came back. Right. And I'm thinking, isn't that fascinating? It it's is. It's very clear that for a lot of these patients, the plants are triggering symptoms. Sure. Right? And they'll either get, they'll either get insomnia or something else that's just bad with carnivore. And I'm thinking, 
I wonder if you're just not, you're not making ketones well, you're not, you know, you're not, your brain isn't using them. Maybe there's something in the middle and that's, those are the people that we need to put on just very limited plants or very specific sources of carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. And so I'm open to the fact that perhaps there are people with polymorphisms. Yeah. And I'll tell you another, another theory that might hold a little water. Uh, if someone's taken a hypnotic like Ambien or Lunesta for years and years, it can completely alter their sleep architecture for months and months and months. And it can it's a very hard addiction to break because you literally can't sleep for months. And you are sleeping a little, but you're not getting that good restful sleep. If someone's been a carb or a sugar addict and they've used that as a sleep aid, because I mean, before I, you know, 20 years ago, before I went to bed every night, I had a huge bowl of Lucky Charms and milk every night at bedtime. That helped me sleep, of course, right? Because the boom, here come the endorphins, and I'm sleeping like a baby. And so perhaps for these people who have been carb addicted for decades, it takes months bef- before you fix the sleep architecture damage that you did with the carbohydrate diet in the past. I wonder, in, in that period, anything you think that people could use as an adjunct to help with that? I think I love the more fat idea. Uh, I love being very, very active during the day so that you're as physically exhausted as possible at bedtime. I love getting sun on my face and in my, you know, being out in the sun early in the morning. And then I love a, a nighttime ritual and getting all the blue lights out of your out of your house at dusk. So when the sun goes down, the blue blockers need to go on probably. And then you probably would talk about the juve, the red light. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah I love the and red the light. The red light comes out close gonna, to bedtime. Yeah, yep. we're gonna have to. I'm excited to see how you feel with that. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna try it. You have a chili pad? I I did have one, and I played with the 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 you know the cold pads and the the cold all that stuff. I I don't know. I like mine, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried it, but I I couldn't really tell any huge differences. But uh, I tried it for a while. Yeah, Nisha yeah. hated it. She's like, is that thing in the bed again? I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Trying to get the cold back. Have you, I mean, I guess this this is another question. So this is what I wanted to talk about at the end here. Who keto doesn't work for? Yeah. There's a there's a very small percentage of the population who have inborn errors of metabolism of fat or protein metabolism. They probably can't eat keto. And I was working on this uh, as a YouTube video. And I, after I did my research, I realized, you know, this video is going to be for about 200 people in the whole country. Small. That's how rare these conditions are. And if someone has one of these conditions, they know they have it because they were diagnosed either in the womb or shortly after birth. They've been to a pediatric geneticist. They've been to a pediatric endocrinologist. They and they they were in the hospital off and on while they were a baby because until they we you know until the doctors figured out oh you've got a you've got a, one of these inborn errors you can't digest this or that or the other and so we're going to have to give you this special diet so these people know who they are they already know they can't eat the protein or the fat of, of keto and there's less than a thousand people probably in the entire United States who can't do keto so it's pretty rare very very rare. And you know, I talked so about. So I didn't even make the video because right. it only helped you know five hundred people, and it probably would confuse more. And they people. already knew anyway, so I right. wasn't really helping them. Right. You know, I talked about this on the podcast I did with Ted Name, and it was a little friendly debate about protein. I wonder if there are people who have variable abilities to tolerate protein. You know, yeah, I there's think so. this there's this polymorphism called yep. ornithine transcarbamylase, and uh, I think that it still is 
allows people to process reasonable amounts of protein. But yeah. I think that if we exceed the amount of nitrogenous bases, that is amino acids that our liver can turn into urea, I could imagine that that could then increase the ammonia in the blood and then the glutamine in the brain, and that could cause sleep disturbance. So in the people Maybe, that, yeah. that, that talk to me about sleep disturbance on carnivore, I say, I, I, if they're my clients, I will measure ammonia in the blood, I will measure glutamine in the blood, and I have them cut back on the protein. Not crazy amounts, not right. like, not like you know, sarcopenia amounts, right. not Stephen Gundry amounts, you know, <laughs> right. but I have them cut down on the protein and see. So that's the other thing I think about in terms of polymorphisms. But that's, I think, a place where I want to stay diligent is, are there polymorphisms? People are always mm -hmm. asking me this. Have you thought at all about ApoE4? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I read about it all the time, think about it. And I think there's so many, I think, I think probably every human on the planet is a mosaic. You know what I mean by that, right? I think, I think we have all these polymorphisms. We have this turned on, that turned off, either by the environment in our mother's womb, which we had no control over, but yet still can be our problem through our entire life, right? And I think there are all these things that, that can be very important for some people, but are not a big deal at all for other people. And I think, yeah, there's a long list of those things. Do you get worried about people doing keto if they're APOE 3-4 or APOE 4-4? No, I don't, I don't worry I don't about it at all. I'm going to do a podcast recent, uh, coming up with Tommy Wood about APOE 4, so we'll go into it in more detail. But people may know APOE is one of the apolipoproteins that we have in our bodies. APOE 3 is the sort of genetic uh, polymorphism that is associated with the baseline risk of Alzheimer's and APOE4 allele increases your risk of Alzheimer's, but it's not deterministic. Right. There are plenty of people with APOE4 alleles who do not get Alzheimer's. Right. And then there's an APOE2 allele, which appears to decrease your risk of Alzheimer's. And I'll, the only thing I'll say is that I do not believe that APOE4 is a, uh, a disqualifier from a ketogenic diet or a high fat diet or a carnivore diet. I will do a whole podcast on this. And then in some populations, APOE4 is actually protective. Yeah. Um, that's from the an, problem from an and infectious I, yeah. perspective I think eating a crappy diet is 1,000 times more predictive of all the dementias as as some little snippet gene like that that might mean something or might not and what we are learning now is that APOE4 or at least Alzheimer's is also probably linked to insulin resistance 100% and I think what people hear in this situation is I can't eat high fat I have APOE4 and then they eat moderate or high carbohydrate, and you're thinking, ah, this is all speculative. Right. I'm just not convinced this yeah. is the problem. Yeah, I think your diet is a shotgun pointed right at your face. And APOE4 may be a BB gun pointed at your arm. That's kind of the way I describe the risk to my patients. And so, yeah, I'd much rather be shot in the arm with a BB gun. Right. So diet is the biggest risk, 100%. the biggest lever. Yeah. Make the biggest By diet far. you can. By yeah. far. I'm trying to think. I think those are the main things I hear in carnivore. I have a couple people on carnivore uh, who say they get constipation, and usually it's people with pre-existing constipation, and they come to carnivore and they stay constipated. Unfortunately, carnivore has not been a panacea for everyone with constipation. For a right. lot of people with GI issues, man, Carnivore is amazing. Yeah. Uh, cutting out the fiber improves gas bloating. But some people, their constipation doesn't get better on carnivore. And uh, some people, and so I think we need to be very careful with our definition of constipation. And you remember this from residency. Constipation doesn't mean you, you just haven't pooped in the last 10 minutes. That's not constipation. Uh, it's normal for some people to poop three times a day. It's some people for, uh, normal for some people to poop every fourth day. That's normal. That's not constipation. Constipation is straining, pain, bleeding, 
those that's constipation, right? It's it is uncomfortable. Not just you haven't pooped in two days. That's not constipation. And so when you're eating a carnivore diet, almost everything you're putting in your mouth is one hundred percent digestible, absorbable nutrition. And so it's very common for carnivores to have a one-tenth the volume of poop that they had back when they're eating plants because so much of plant matter is roughage and fiber. You can't digest that. You got to poop it out, right? And so one thing that I go back to is I had a patient who had a jejunostomy, right? Had a, had a pouch very high up in his small intestine. And so I asked him, I said, do you ever see meat in your bag? He's like, no. Like, you mean like if I eat a steak or something, I didn't chew it up good? I'm like, yeah, do you ever see that in your bag? And so for people who don't know, you have your stomach, and then the first part of your, your a very short part of your small intestine is the duodenum, and then the jejunum is next. And so this guy has very little gut before it empties out into his bag. He never has he seen a piece of meat. He said, like, sometimes I'll just eat, you know, steak like a man and swallow it half chewed. I never see steak in the bag. And I said, what have you seen in the bag? Broccoli, corn, right? Potato skin. Like literally it's all vegetable matter. And so, yeah. And so constipation means that you're having pain with with defecation. It means you're having to strain and bear down. It doesn't mean that you don't have much poop or that you haven't pooped in a couple of days. And when you give that definition to the average person who says they're constipated on keto or carnivore, they're like, I've yet to have a person who didn't say, no, I don't have that. And what's interesting, and I've talked about this before, is that if you look at the studies of uh, fiber, fiber doesn't improve straining, right. bleeding, right. The pain. The true symptoms of constipation. Yeah, but fiber That's will right. make you have more poop. That's It'll right. make your poop yeah. bigger. Yeah. And the average person says, oh, I thought I was supposed to poop every day. Right. And, and I'm, they're like, that's okay if I don't poop every day. I'm like, yeah, it's perfectly normal. Are you having any pain whatsoever? No. Then you're, you don't have constipation. Yeah, yeah. Ken, it's a pleasure. Man, always. It's always a good time, my man. Where can people find you? Where should people be looking for your stuff? I know you're doing this book tour. You got Lies My Doctor Told Me. Where should people look for your stuff? Lies My Doctor Told Me, Medical Myths That Can Harm Your Health, is available where all good books are sold. Not bad books? No, no, no bad books. Only the good books. Uh, I've got a little YouTube channel that I do. Little. You just search Dr. Barry. I think you'll find me. I've got a little Facebook page that Nisha and I, we go live every Monday night at 7 p.m. Central. And so if you've got keto questions or carnivore questions, or if you're a vegan and you just want to leave a razzy message, you can join us on our Facebook Live. I've got a Twitter. If I'm feeling especially snarky, I'll get on Twitter and slap vegans around. Or, you know, Big Food or Big Pharma, call out Coca-Cola. I do that pretty regularly and call out Kraft and Kellogg's. I've got an Instagram I play on. I still don't really understand Instagram yet. Me neither. Me neither. That it? That good, that's the good stuff? That's enough. I All also right. have a Vero. I have a, I have a Gab because you never know where this stuff's going to go. I've got, <laughs> I'm on a, I've got a, an account on every social media. So if you're on any social media, look for me. I'm there. I don't even know what Vero and Gab <laughs> are. All right, Ken, this is my last question. I ask it to all of my guests recently. What is the most radical thing that you have done in the last month, my man? The most radical thing I've done in the last month? Hmm, I tried raw sheep brains. I love it. On a beach in Florida given to me by a Puerto Rican. <laughs> True story. He was and, walking down and, the and beach? The, the, no, no. He, he came to a meetup and he's, he's hardcore keto, loves keto. And he had actually brought some in a, in a, I can't believe it's not butter tub. 
So that's pretty, that's radical and wild, isn't it, right? And so, yeah, raw sheep brains, which I found surprisingly delicious. They were very creamy, buttery. I was very impressed. I had, I was just going to eat it. I had to try it, right? I They're amazing. Be, I couldn't be a baby. I had to take a bite. But after that first bite, I was like, dude, this ain't bad. And I wound up eating several bites and I ate some of his raw sheep brains. That's amazing. Ben and I had some lamb brains yesterday morning. Yeah, I guess this was lamb brain. Yeah, yeah very it's, delicious. It's really good. It's yeah. a it's a uniquely it's a unique experience to be eating a brain. Yeah, you know you you think that's the yeah. right hemisphere. And I immediately that's- started thinking of recipes. I can mix this with some cod liver and make like a liver brain mousse. That would be divine. That would be really good. Yeah. You ever had testicles? I have had, uh, yes, I've had uh, rooster testicles. That's a thing in the South. Uh, never have had bull or, or sheep or anything like US that. U.S. Wellness Meats has lamb testicles. Lamb testicles. You got to try them. They're really yeah, good raw. I'll try a spoonful. Yeah, they're really, yeah. They're really good raw. I ain't a baby. I'll try a spoonful. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're going to do is we're going to have a UFC cage match between Ken Berry and it's going to be tag team. It's going to be like WrestleMania. We'll yeah. get Chris Bell there to referee yeah. it. Yeah. We're going to get Michael Gregor. We're going to get Joel Furman, Ken Berry, Sean Baker. We're going to win. Yeah. And then. And you know, Neil Bernard, because he wants to break up yeah. with bacon and you cannot be yeah. my friend if you break up with yeah. bacon. We'll get Neil Bernard there on the other side. And then when we, when we crush them all, our victory meal will be testicles. Sheep testicles. Sheep te- and beef brain and, and, and yeah, lamb brain. Uh, I'm 100%. I'm in. All right, man. Let's I can't wait it. till we do this again. All right, brother. See you next time. All right, welcome to the outro. Like I said in the intro to this podcast, I want to make these a little bit longer. You guys can turn them off if you want. You don't have to listen. But I, you know, if people are really stoked about what I'm putting out and they want to hear a little bit what's going on with me, I'm going to do it in the outros. I don't want to prevent people from getting to the podcast. I think that's the main content I want to produce. So what's going on with me now? Well, I'm moving over to a new website. That should be done soon. It's going to be carnivoremd.com. Check that out. Hopefully that'll be out later this week. Probably when this podcast comes out on Tuesday, that will not be up, but it should be out later this week. That's going to have blog posts. It's going to have all the back issues of The Insider, which is my newsletter, but The Insider sounds cooler than saying a newsletter. So fundamentalhealthinsider.com to subscribe. I talk about all kinds of cool stuff in there, articles. I talk about what's going on with me, podcasts, the adventures I'm going on, things I like, what I'm doing with surfing toys, books, podcasts, good stuff. So check out fundamentalhealthinsider.com. I'm working hard on the book, you guys. I'm getting close. It's coming probably late November, early December. It's going to be out. It's going to be a brush fire. It's going to be fun to promote it. I'm super excited about what I'm putting in it. And we have some amazing folks who are going to be a part of the book in terms of endorsements and prologue. In fact, there are some really big names uh, who are going to endorse the book, and I've got a really special guest for you who's going to do the prologue, and I will keep that secret for now, but I will tell you soon. I've got some really big podcasts coming out this week um, that I've been on. Mike Mutzel is a good friend of mine. We did High Intensity Health. That's coming out, so look for that one. That's going to um, hopefully reach a lot of people, and this past weekend, I recorded a ton of cool podcasts coming up, so in the future, we have podcasts with the Deuterium Center, the Center for Deuterium Depletion. Uh, This one with Ken Berry, as you know, I recorded this weekend at uh, Low Carb San Diego. I sat down with Dave and Chaban from Cholesterol Code, and we recorded a, man, knowledge bomb-packed podcast, Cholesterol and Beyond, Inflammation, Immunologic Roles of LDL. That's going to be good. That's in a few weeks as well. Pretty soon, my buddy Nathan is coming to AHS, Ancestral Health Symposium. I am speaking at AHS 
this year on Friday morning. I believe it's 9.30 in the morning. I can confirm that. But I'm going to be speaking at AHS. If you're there and you want to see me, check me out there. Nathan is coming for AHS, as is Tommy Wood. I'm going to record a podcast with Tommy Wood about ApoE4, whether ketogenic and carnivore diets are something to worry about in the setting of this polymorphism. And I'm going to record a podcast with Nathan all about blood work. We are going to go into my blood work, his blood work. I've been doing blood work for like a year on the carnivore diet, and we're going to dig into all of it. Nathan has done blood work multiple times. We are just bleeding for you guys, so that'll be a really good one. All right, you guys, that is all for now. I continue to really appreciate my Juve light, www.juve.com, front slash Paul. It's just a really wonderful way to start my day with red and near infrared light. We did a video together, which we posted soon on their website. You can see it. It was rad. Stay radical. Talk to you soon.